Amen. Everyone's got a story to tell. Would you stand with me one more time before, as we read the word? Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Father, we join our hearts as we just love your word. We thank you for the book of Revelation and what it's going to speak into us as people, your people. We would be derelict, Lord, if we didn't lift up our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, uh, men and women who are losing their lives, their families, their livelihoods, their homes. We pray that you would be with them and strengthen them and may they even at this moment know they are not alone. We pray for them, we pray for us as we partner together to just see lives changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today we're starting a new series and it's called Faith uh, Under Pressure. And we're gonna spend eight weeks, then we'll take a break and do some other things, then come back for another eight weeks of Revelation, then take a break. It's not, and it's because we don't want you to just run through it, we want to process what we're studying in the book of Revelation. It's an interesting book. Can we all agree on that? Interesting book, for those of you who've read it. Winston Churchill, speaking of, of, of Russia, which is probably just as appropriate as today as it was in World War II, said this, that Russia is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And that's probably just as true today. And it's also true of the book of Revelation. A lot of people feel that way, like, what the heck is Revelation trying to say? And we're going to start to walk through that this next year. And uh, sometimes the symbolism, sometimes the imagery, sometimes the word pictures are just, are, are almost, if you will, overwhelming. And if that is you, if that's you today, understand this, you're not alone. A lot of people struggle with the book of Revelation. Even the reformers, uh, Zwingli and uh, Calvin and Luther and uh, Bullinger and Erasmus and others all struggled with Revelation. Uh, Martin Luther didn't like it. John Calvin, all of his commentaries, he wouldn't write one on uh, a commentary on Revelation. And others had their different issues with it. And so even the Orthodox Church, when some of us went to the Isle of Patmos to see where John wrote the letter, the guide was sure to tell us, and I've checked into it, that the Eastern Orthodox Church will not allow the book of Revelation to be read in their worship services because it's too divisive. And when you take that kind of sharp stand, you're going to miss out on the beauty on the message of Revelation. Because it's gonna do some things that are powerful in our lives. Now, I've been a Christ follower a long time and I've, I've, I've just about seen everything under the sun. I've seen just about all the books. Anyone here remember the book by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth? Yeah, raise your hand, I'm just curious. Yeah, about 20 of us, okay. But that's, that's still, that's a good number. How many, have, how many have watched the Left Behind series by uh, Tim LaHaye and, yeah, a lot more. And then my favorite, or my scariest, was uh, 666 by Salem uh, Kerban. And that one scared me so much, I couldn't sleep for a week. I mean, it just scared me to death. I thought guys, big police guys with lasers were going to come and kill me or make me take the mark, and it was just awful. No other book in Scripture provokes the fascination or controversy as the book of Revelation. And after, after reading Revelation, people get real excited. There's been a lot of people through history who've said, hey, I've read Revelation, I can set the date when Jesus is going to come back. How many know they've all been wrong? Yes, if you're here today, they were wrong, just so we're all aware. 
And, and, and some people are, are frightened of revelation. Other people just get turned off by all of the craziness that sometimes surrounds it. And the book of Revelation is not meant to scare us or to intimidate us or to frighten us in any way, but it is to impress upon our hearts, upon our minds, upon our spiritual imaginations the, the messages that God gave through the author John, impressed by the Holy Spirit, so that you and I could in the fullness of time know that Jesus Christ is returning. The final message is clear in Revelation that good triumphs over evil, that Jesus Christ has already purchased our victory at the cross. I mean, it's already a done deal. We're just waiting for the end times for all the things that are going to happen for Jesus Christ to return. I mean, how exciting is that? So we're gonna start our study with the basis. We're gonna talk about who, what, where, when, and why. We're gonna start there. Who? It's John. John who wrote the Gospel of John. John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's the writer. He was in that inner circle. He's one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so he knows, he knows intimately who Jesus is. Well, what is it? It is a written record of messages, of the prophecies, of the visions that John personally saw and heard and were given by him to God and the church. And how many know that the church is not this building? The church is you and me. The church is 2,000 years of Christ followers who were called to yield to Jesus Christ. Where it was given, the visions were given on the Isle of Patmos off the coast of what is now Turkey, Asia Minor, about 60 miles, I think, off the coast in the Aegean Sea, which is to a part of the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And back then, today it's a tourist place. You, you go and you can see the cave where he received the visions and all those different things. But back then it was a penal colony. If you got on the bad side of the emperors of Rome, you ended up on, on Patmos. And John was exiled there, the Bible tells us, for his faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he ended up on the island of Patmos. When, some, some dispute on this, but I take the date uh, 96 CE or AD, making it more than likely the very last book written in scripture, the very last letter. It's an amazing book today. Well, what's the why? Because I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? Well, the why is to show believers like you and me what will take place in the end times that has the world and has us as people and has our culture prepares itself. Things will take place and then Jesus Christ will declare it's time and Jesus Christ will return. And between now and then, what it does for us is to exhort us to repentance it exhorts us to resurrender. I love that song. And it also calls us to live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. My life belongs to him. Your life belongs to Jesus Christ today. Some of the things that you gotta know is what kind of a letter is it? What kind of a thing is it? Well, the genre, that's a French word for what kind of writing is it? It's three things today. Number one, it is the, it's the genre of a letter. It's the longest letter in, in, in the book. It's not a pastoral letter, it's a different kind of letter but it's a letter, the longest one written to the churches. Secondly, it is prophecy, it is prophetic. It's, it's about proclamation, it proclaims, and it predicts the future. And then finally, uh, it's that word apocalypsis, or what we get, the word apocalyptic. It means to unveil, it means to disclose, it means to reveal. That, that through the word, through revelation, it is disclosed and revealed and made, made known three different things, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, to uncover something that's been hidden. It does so with symbolism, it does so with vivid, vivid imagery, with word pictures that are off the charts, with predictions and with language, with language usage that's unparalleled in the rest of scripture. Now, there are four views of Revelation, and I just wanna take a quick man, minute with this, but there are four different views. In other words, there are four different ways that people view Revelation. You have, I'll give you all four real quickly, and then I'll come back to them. Preterism, 
Historicism, idealism, and futurism. These are the four streams that people swim in when it comes to revelation. In other words, how they think about end times. Now, a preterist will say they believe firmly, by the way, I might add, that all of Revelation has been, been fulfilled in the Roman era up until about 70 AD. Everything's been accomplished in Revelation except for the eventual return of Jesus Christ. That's preterism. Uh, historicism means that Revelation from, from the beginning all the way through Scripture is being revealed. It's a constant reveal. It was revealed in the Roman times. It's being revealed today. It will be a constant unfolding. Now, your idealist doesn't necessarily tie anything to to events. It doesn't predict anything. What it does is it takes the symbolism of the book of Revelation and it says there are truths and there are values and things that we can learn from the book of Revelation. Everyone with me? That's idealism. Now futurism is where most people land and that's that from uh, Revelation chapter, at the end of chapter 3 on, from 4 on to the end of, of Revelation, it's all about things that are going to happen in the future until the eventual return of Jesus Christ. Now, I have friends who were preterists. I was raised historicist. I, uh, idealism, uh, uh, many people are idealists, and Carl Barth, Carl Barth would be a famous uh, idealist. And then most people today, like, uh, man, Pentecostalism, Charismatics, a lot of bad, pretty much anyone today, all of the, you know, uh, David Jeremiah, all the preachers on TV, most of them are futurists. And so, ironically, most of the reformers were historicists. But there was a change in about 1850, but that's a long story, and you don't need it today. If you want more, if you want more, if you want to read up on this stuff, there are, it's a book called Four Views of Revelation. And it's a pretty heavy-duty book, but it's by Gundry and Paint. And I would encourage you to get that, Four Views of Revelation. Pastor Ray, what are you? Well, I, I, I'm mostly, I'm mostly... A futurist. I think there are events that are still going to happen, and and then Jesus Christ. I, I see the world in the last era. That word, when it said the time is near, that's not the word chronos, which means linear time. It's it's uh, kairos, which means epoch or era. I think we're in the last era before Jesus Christ comes again. That's what I think, but that's me. That's me. My my preterist friend will see things differently. Uh, but but having said that. Uh, is it okay to say this? Because I know right now we're supposed to hate everyone that doesn't believe exactly like us. <laughs> but I'd like to go ahead and say that I find some truth in preterism. I find some truth in, in historicist view. I certainly see in the symbolism some, some overarching teachings. I mean, don't you? And, and even your most ardent historicists or futurists will say they see something in the symbolism. My point is, just because someone doesn't agree exactly with you on end-time theology, it's okay. Lighten up. Is, can I just say that? Just lighten up. You know, I have friends that are died in the world pre-trib. They've, they've watched, they've seen Tim LaHaye. I think he was definitely pre-trib. And so we all leave, and then it gets really bad for seven years. That's pre-tribulism. Tribulism. <laughs> That's pre-tribulation. Sorry. <laughs> I've been doing this a while. And then you have those who believe three and a half years in, then we're taken out, the Christian's taken out. Uh, and then you, have, you certainly have those people who are post-trib, which means we go through the seven years and then we, something, powerfully ha something powerful happens. I guess what I'm saying is I'm pan-tribulation. I really think it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think God's in control. I'm not. God's going to set the date, the time. And I say let God be God and lighten up a little bit. 
You know, you don't have to hate the person because they don't agree with you exactly. I know that's the norm today, sadly. But here's the thing. In, 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 non, in, in essentials, let's have unity. In non-essentials, let's have liberty. And in all things, let's have charity. Everyone with me there? So if someone doesn't believe exactly the way, man, if we can all agree that Jesus is coming at some point, let's let that be the basis. Hey, we know Jesus is coming. If you've got your bent, I've got mine. Let's just move on together. Let's all love Jesus. Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Jesus died to forgive my sin and, and bring me back into relationship with, with the Father in heaven. That's what I call an essential. If we can agree on that, then, then some of the other stuff we can, we can learn to let go as, as I think we should. So uh, here's the thing. We're going to walk through this real quickly, so don't, don't check out. Don't wonder who's playing, who got picked in the draft or anything like that. Uh, the book is, is the last chapter in God's story of redemption, and we need to know it today. It brings together all of the, the prophecies of Daniel and, and uh, Zechariah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. It gives us a glimpse of the future. And so rather than scare, I think what we, when we're going to see in this first chapter is we're going to be encouraged today. We're going to walk out of here doing, if you will, our happy dance because God wins the day. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ from which God gave to him, gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. What's, what's revelation about? Well, we just found out. It said right at the top there. What does it say? The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus. The revelation in the, ES, or the ESV it says of, in the NIV it says from. It's the revelation of and from Jesus Christ. Everything about revelation points to Jesus, right? Come on, engage with me here, right? It, oh, thank you for that one. Yep. Okay. So as we witness events, it, what should happen is we walk through Revelation, our, our understanding, uh, our picture of Jesus should become clearer. Verse 2 would say this, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, so who's the testimony of? Jesus. It's, it's of and from, and it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. So everything about the person and the work of Jesus becomes the blueprint for revelation. It's all about Jesus and what Jesus is accomplishing and will accomplish and has accomplished on our behalf. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of, of, of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. Aren't you glad today? Just because I, got, I, I read it, I, I get a blessing, you heard it, you get a blessing. The problem is there's a third part to that, and it said this, and keep that which is written in it. In other words, this, this blessing isn't for someone who goes, that's you, and you say, bless you. It's not that. It's for people who persevere. It's for people like the Beatitudes of Jesus. Blessed are you if. It's for those people who hang in there that when the going gets tough, they just keep on going. They don't quit. It's a heavy-duty macho. Oh, I hate that word. Sorry. It is... Uh, it, it, I can't think of a word. It's a powerful blessing. It's a powerful blessing for those that hang in there that when persecution comes, when their faith is under pressure, they don't quit, they don't back up, they don't give up, but they keep pressing in to become who Jesus Christ has called them to be. It's about reading and hearing and keeping what is written. This is the blessing of learning to walk in God's will. Blessed, he say, blessed are those who persevere. John 
verse, or excuse me, Revelation, John opens up in verse four and five. He gives a greeting, what, what, what some people call the Trinitarian benediction. It's a blessing. It, it, it's, it's common and yet it's not because this one is Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's see if you can find them. Here we go. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace from him who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of, of kings on earth. Number one, grace and peace to God the Father, the one who is and who was and is to come. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. Grace and peace from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, most commentators and readers, that the seven spirits are representative of the Holy Spirit. There aren't seven spirits, there's one. But they think that what John is doing is quoting Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, where he talks about the attributes of wisdom, understanding, counsel, the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's indeed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who says to you today, if you need it especially, grace and peace to you. And then John gets even more excited than I do when he's doing this stuff, and he, he breaks out in doxology. That, that means like it's, it's a song. It's a song of praise and of worship. And he, he just gets excited and he says, and to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. John takes us back to the cross of Christ and reminds us that it's his blood that brings us into relationship today. It's the blood of Christ that frees us from our sin just a couple of weeks ago, we said that you can't really enjoy Sunday until you understand what happened on Friday. That until you see the pain and suffering of Friday, you can't enjoy the, you can't experience the joy of Sunday. So he takes us back to remind us that Jesus paid our debt, conquered death, and gave new life to all of us in this room today. Then he said he's made us a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests so that we can have direct access to God. We live in the kingdom of God. We have access because we are the priest of God. And then he breaks out in praise and he says to him, be glory and power forever and ever. Even as I'm saying this to you, I go back to the very first service 34 years ago here. Pastor Jerry Duckworth leading us in that song to him who sits on the throne. Be blessing and glory and honor and power. Then he jumps, uh, verse 7 and 8, he gives us a glimpse of future attractions he said, behold, he is coming in with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. And then almost seemingly from, from out of nowhere comes this voice that says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. John says, behold, and he gives us a glimpse of what's going to take further on in Revelation, Behold, he is coming, and every eye will see him, and sadly, not everyone will be glad to see him. There will be those who wail, those who mourn, because they haven't prepared their hearts for the coming king. But all will know that the king has come. That alpha and omega, that's the first and last uh, word in the, in the Greek alphabet, alpha and omega. God says, I am the first and I am the last. And oh, by the way, I'm God of everything in the middle. He's Lord of all today. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in, in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, friends, this isn't the great tribulation. This is just everyday tribulation. This is small t tribulation right here. 
It's the trials, it's the pressure, it's the persecution that these people from, from Rome on down into Asia Minor were all experience, experiencing because it became okay, it became legal to persecute Christ's followers. The emperor Domitian, he was a polytheist and he didn't care what other gods you worshiped just as long as you worshiped him. If you go to his temple and, and, and worship him for just a moment, declared Domitian is God, you were okay. Well, how many know that for, for John, that just wasn't gonna work? For the Christ followers back then, it, it just wasn't gonna work because they could have no God but God. They knew that Jesus had died for them and they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna bow their knee to any of the other idols, to any of the other gods. They weren't gonna certainly bow to this man named Domitian because we should never bow our knee to anyone who's on this planet, just so we're all clear. And so persecution... They lost their homes, they lost their lives, Hebrews 11. They lost their families. They were persecuted socially, economically, politically, socially, and religiously. And Paul ends up, or John ends up on the Isle of Patmos. How many, that's just where God wanted him. How many know that God does really cool stuff under pressure? This is the first service I've actually said that. In fact, I'll say this, God does his best work when us Christians are under pressure. You want to know when, when God isn't really allowed to work? It's when all things are going well because we don't give him the time of day. But let pressure begin to mount. Let the enemy begin to push back against the church and all of a sudden the, the, I hear the voice of God saying, I'll fight for you. I'll fight for you. So he ends up there and he writes this letter because of persecution, because of people they're struggling today. You know, as I, as I thought about this, this portion, I thought, man, wouldn't it be easier if we were all just polytheist? I mean, it'd just be easier. Everyone would, everyone would like us. Hey, I've got this little God over here. Come and worship him. Okay. Hey, uh, I, I, we've decided to worship this one over here. Okay, that works. Polytheism would be e easier, the worship of many gods, but uh, just so you understand the terms, we're not polytheists, we're monotheists. We believe there's one God, one God. It's always easier to worship little gods because no one will get mad at you. But when you decide there's a God who gave his son Jesus to die on the cross, rise again, ascended, and one day is coming back, that puts a point on it that a lot of people can't deal with. But the reality is that's who we serve. That's who we worship. That's who we are all about. We cannot be, if you will, polytheists. And the Bible said this, we're called to live with patient endurance, to persevere because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10 and 11, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John's worshiping on the Lord's day and he hears this voice, sounds like a trumpet, very clear, very powerful, and says, write down everything you see and then send it to the churches down in Asia Minor. By the way, those aren't the only churches, those were just the ones mentioned. How many know that Revelation wasn't just for those seven churches, it was for all the churches. In fact, let's say this, it wasn't just for the churches back in that day, 2,000 years of, of church, 2,000 years of people who are Christ followers, you and me, this is a message that rings through 2,000 years all the way up to today and beyond. It's for us today. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. <gasps> Pastor Ray, what seven? Well, it tells you in verse 20. The seven golden lampstands are the churches, the seven churches. 
If Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, all of these, it's John's first vision in, in Revelation. It's the first one. And, and he hears this voice and he turns and he sees the seven golden lampstands. And, and, and uh, John's using language. He's starting to, he's starting to uh, impress upon us the need to see with our spiritual eyesight. Everyone still awake? Okay. Now he, now he wants us to see not only the words... He doesn't just want to think. He wants us to actually see the picture because there's something about, about when our minds and our hearts, our imagination, that visual eyesight all gear in together, we see it more vividly. So right now, get a picture of the seven golden lampstands. Make them however big you want to make them. But get that picture. Because that picture, because I'm about to say there is one who is standing in the midst of them. In the midst of the church. There is Jesus. How powerful. You know, some of us have been blessed to have gone to, to Israel and to Jerusalem and to the uh, Yad Vashem remembrance of the Holocaust, six million Jews who died, six million or more. It's a powerful place. It just is. And we'll, we'll be going there in February again. Uh, but there's two, two uh, there's the Hall of Remembrance and, and basically it's a single burning candle and it's in this room and don't ask me why, but in that simplicity, there is such power. It's that little symbol, that little picture that you get to see with your eyes, the hall of remembrance, and you realize there is a, there is a heaviness that comes over you to say that these people died. But it's that symbolism of that, that one flame. My favorite is the memorial to children. If you've ever been there, it's powerful. It's that one light that begins to be reflected off different lights and uh, over a million lights in this room, a million lights that you walk through. And while you're walking through and you're seeing this and it's ta you're taking it in visually, you hear the words, the names of these children because they had names. They had ages and they were from a certain place and it gives the date on when they were killed at their age. I've been, in, I've been in there four times and I'm, I'm two for five or two for four when I walk out and I'm weeping because of that image, because of that visual. It's no longer, it's no longer thinking, it's, it's visceral, it's everything within me and, and I, can, I can barely talk. Seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the, of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white, white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining at full strength. John pulls from Daniel and, and Ezekiel and other places and he creates this picture of, of a Jesus we're not going to remember because that's not the Jesus we think about. That's Jesus. We think about the baby in the manger. We, we spend 30 days thinking about the baby in the manger. We think about the itinerant preacher up and around Galilee. We think of, of the rabbi sitting on the rock and talking to, to, to people. We think of the man, uh, uh, Jesus, who turned water into wine and all of the great miracles. But he's not any of those right now. He's no longer 
chained to a post and having his back ripped open. He's no longer the one that they take the crown of thorns and press it upon his head. His work's finished there. He's no longer the one that hands between, hangs between heaven and earth because that's been accomplished. He's no longer in the tomb. And he has ascended. He's no longer any of those. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and John gets this vision of him as though he were sitting as it were and he's standing up and now he's among the seven golden lampstands. Now, John has this fresh picture. John who knew him. Three years, John knew who he was. Walked with him, talked with him, was there. The one guy who stayed at the cross. Who is he now? John just got a refresh on who Jesus is. Fresh picture. Now he wears the long robes of a king, the sash of a high priest. White hair like the ancient of days, eyes like flames of fire piercing the darkness, burnished bronze on his feet bringing judgment, voice of a thousand oceans, the voice of authority. And in his right hands he holds the seven stars holding the church in his hands, always in the midst of his church. And from his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword to speak truth and defend his church. And his faith his face is like shining like the sun, but it's not half shining. It is the full-on power of the sun shining. That's who Jesus is. And that's who we need to see today. We need a refresh. Even we who've been in church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we need a refresh. We need a resurrender to see who Jesus is. This is Jesus now. Get a picture in your mind as he comes toward you. The robe, the sash, the eyes that gleam like fire, his face shining like the sun, holding a sword ready to do battle on your behalf and to bring judgment and grace. John said these words, when I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Between you and I, I think that's the proper response. John who knew him, John who loved him, John the beloved, John who is his best friend, fell at his feet, because that's most people get a vision for God, that's normally what happens. Oh, here's the part we might remember. But he laid his right hand on me, saying this, fear not. Fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Right therefore, the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. This isn't, John's not writing about some watered down Santa Claus cultural version, Jesus who's user friendly. John said, when I saw him, I fell down as though I were dead. This is Jesus in all his glory. This is the Jesus we need to see today, the living one, the one who is alive forevermore, who holds the keys of death in the grave, the faithful witness, the firstborn over all creation, and he is the ruler of the kings of earth. Behold your king. We need a refresh today. No. The point of revelation is not to set the date of Jesus' return. 
or to, or to finesse the dates and the, the times and the happenings to compress them into some little marketable thing that you can sell to other people. That's not the point of revelation. The point of revelation is to say, behold your king. Bow down before him and worship him for he alone is worthy of worship. And, and when, you, when, you, when your faith is under pressure, persevere, hang in there. And when you don't think you have the strength to do it anymore, that's okay because he is holding the sword and he will protect and he will defend you. Behold your king. At some point we need to refresh that we no longer love Jesus because it was the faith of our parents or the faith of our grandparents or because it worked or because we, we did it to fit in. At some point we need a refresh that says Jesus is my savior, he's my Lord and he's my king. And one day he's coming back. That's the message of Revelation today. Would you pray with me? Lord, in this room somewhere, you want to say to someone who is struggling, fear not. You want to touch them and let them know they don't have to be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. For others who are struggling with so many different issues and things, you want to stand in their midst and let them know they're not alone. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a desire to persevere so that we can draw others to the hope that we have in you. That whatever the future looks like, whatever the days, this era, this epoch looks like, we won't be afraid because our hope and our trust is in you and you've already purchased our victory. And we belong to you. So Lord, be with us as we declare one more time, you are our king. 